The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. We're digging out of a deep hole. Um, last year was the worst year for economic growth since World War II. Exclusive interview, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tells CNBC only major stimulus will heal the, the economy. President Biden's top economic official also pledging to keep the pressure on China. It's not just trade, but in some cases, forced technology transfer, subsidies to um, high technology in industries where there may be national security concerns. Robin Hood founder Vlad Tenev defends the decision to halt trading in GameStop during last month's retail trading frenzy, but he apologizes to a House Financial Services Committee for the platform's role in the volatility. Robin Hood as an organization will learn from this and improve to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'll make sure of that. German chipmaker Infineon tells CNBC supply chain complexity means the auto sector should not expect a swift solution to the global semiconductor squeeze. If we need to assume that this situation will take uh, several more months until we can uh, see a relaxation in the overall supply chain. Make it very clear this is not the Marceau Marceau school of <laughs> news presenting. Karen's microphone actually had an issue, I think, in that headline. Yeah. She wasn't just well, miming I, I mean, the her sound headline. desk. I mean, what's going on? What's going on with the sound desk? Yeah, I don't know. I, you don't know. <laughs> you are cheeky. Well, no, you, like you never ever, the yeah. one person in a production stroke director stroke oh. technical, you never upset the sound desk person. No. You, you, everyone who's been on air ever should know this as well because. Yes. The fact of the matter is, when, when your mic's up, yes. they're very good at taking it down again when you have those private conversations off air. But if, ah. they, just, if, if ah. they just happen to uh, leave yeah. your mic up when you're discussing something you shouldn't be discussing, like exactly. uh, football or cars or who knows yes. what as well, yes. then so you never upset the sound person. Many a news presenter's career has come <laughs> to an abrupt halt because of uh, an on-air mistake. Anyway, let's uh, talk a bit about Janet Yellen because what a fantastic interview. And there was so much in it that we're going to unpack over the course of the three hours this morning on Squawk Box. But let's kick off with the headlines. The Treasury Secretary has urged lawmakers to pass President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package, telling CNBC that it's key to rebooting the economy. In an exclusive interview, Yellen said the labour market would see a significant boost if the proposals are passed. We're in a deep hole and it would be good if we have really strong growth. And I think this package will help ensure this. Um, you know, the Congressional Budget Office projected that without a package like this, it would take until 2024 to get back to full employment. 
And I think it's, you know, if, if all goes well with the pandemic and that's an area of considerable uncertainty, how that will progress. But if all goes well, I think we could be back to full employment uh, next year. Is it me or did you find the fireplace quite distracting? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm enjoying the general decor, and although then, she does look as though she's dressed to match the furniture. I know, and then there's like a big black box where the fireplace is, then you've got Mrs. Yellen on the side of it. It's kind of like, I do wonder if, dare I say it, someone could have framed the shot a bit better. But anyway, um, the Treasury Secretary also discussed uh, America's relationship with China, saying the Biden administration would seek a balance. We're in the process of evaluating what our approach should be um, toward China, but there are a range of issues where we see um, unfair practices. Um, it's not just trade, but in some cases, forced technology transfer, subsidies to um, high technology in industries where there may be national security concerns. We have an opportunity to work with our allies to um, address some of these practices jointly. But I, I'd say, look, you know, we also um, need to cooperate with China. We have um, problems like climate change, nuclear proliferation, um, where um, the pandemic itself, its global implications, where we really need to cooperate and um, can't be successful without that cooperation. Uh, admit it, you can't not see that fireplace now. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm very, very much drawn to it. Plus the the sort of uh, film noir aspect of the black and I white. I agree, I agree. It's very yeah. sober. Look, th this is the one of the relevant points I want to pick out of this as well. Uh, and, and this is important for our viewers as well, because most people looking at that are saying, well, how does she feel about the economy? How does she feel about the acceleration out of pandemic? But a lot of our audience are investors and they want to know if there's going to be any challenge to the current situation, which is going to stop stimulus either on a fiscal or indeed on a monetary basis as well from what has been a bit of a, a, a huge ascent to the upside in various asset classes, whether it's copper, whether it's lumber, whether it's individual stocks, whether it's Bitcoin as well. So I think it's very interesting that we haven't even had the stimulus let, but yet but there are high hopes amongst um, the Democrats and the government there that they can get something through, whether it's $1.9 trillion, not remains to be seen. But thereafter, I think the market has already, as its forward-looking mechanism, already accepted that there will be stimulus in terms of fiscal. I think that's fair to say. Mm. We know that we've got Jay Powell early in the week from the FOMC. We're saying rates are going to stay where they are for now. But the yield curve is saying something slightly different. The 10-year yield, the 30-year, is all saying something slightly different. Whether it's on the fiscal front or the mm. monetary front, something is going to be happening down the line. So I think the next stage, of course, is more fiscal stimulus. Thereafter, what happens? And the market's worried about its monetary and indeed fiscal support. Yeah, so a couple of things. Just to come back to the investors, I think that one of the challenging parts of the whole story is just to figure out why the market sold off and what that tells us about the reaction function of the market at the moment. So what it's most sensitive to. Uh, ask yourself, is it about the movement that we've seen in yields? Is it the fact that that presage is apparently some inflationary pressure and the market's got spooked about that because it's looking at relative valuations of the equity market against the bond market? And obviously, if you've got a DCF uh, uh, model on your equities, the value of that DCF is going to fall as interest rates rise. So you're doing the maths and you're saying, well, at these valuations, maybe I shouldn't be owning as much equity as I do bonds. Or is it something 
something else. And I suggest maybe there, there is something else going on here as well, which is as the market gradually becomes convinced by the idea of this broader reflation, what we're actually seeing is just a continue edgy uh, uh, um, uh, rotation yeah. away from growth yeah. and perhaps okay. into value to take advantage of that. Because there's one thing that troubles me about this whole interest rate story, at least at a nominal rates level, and that is the fact that the Fed has rates relatively well anchored in, in policy terms. Yes. And if we see interest rates starting to edge up in a way that the Fed is uncomfortable with, it will do what we've seen the Bank of Japan do, which is some form of yield curve control yeah, okay. to step in okay. and micromanage yields. Let's take a step back here. There are two types of inflation that we can broadly categorise. One is the runaway inflation that we get scared about, which is not going to happen. Early 70s, VIMO, what have you. That ain't going to happen this time around, I don't think. Maybe I'm completely wrong. And then there's the other type of inflation, which is really good for everyone, actually. It's really good for the financials. It's really good for wages because you can improve. You can actually have better wage demands as well. It, it, it's better for the margins of a whole lot of companies as well. So a little bit of inflation. It also de uh, deflates, obviously, that or, 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 or um, deflates the value of the amount of money you've got to hand back if you're a bond issuer as well. So there are many reasons why two to whatever percent inflation is actually a good thing. It shows the economy is working as well. So let's not fear inflation. Say, oh my God, inflation per se on its own is a terrifying thing, Karen. Good morning. I hear you finish with your Marcel Marceau impression. <laughs> I thought I might try the, the genuine article this time, put a little bit of audio with, with the visuals just for something different. But I want to bring up what Janet Yellen was talking about in terms of the workforce. And as you talk about wages, typically we look for wage inflation uh, and the job picture, how it is forming up. We've still got 9 million people out of work, 4 million that have simply just dropped out of the labour force. So there is a gap between what's already been delivered in terms of stimulus and what is required in future to get those jobs back into the system. Some of it you may say will naturally come back as economies reopen, but not all of them. And we don't know just what that gap is. So clearly there's some form of stimulus required. The hard point is figuring out just how much. And if you think about where the Fed's come at a lot of crises, it's had a lot of tools to, to try and manage and firefight with. And we certainly saw Congress approve uh, certain measures early on the crisis. So the Fed had plenty of ammunition. It didn't necessarily use all of it. And I think perhaps that's where Janet Yellen is coming from. She wants the ammunition. And you can see how difficult it is to go back to lawmakers every time and ask for further stimulus. It's going to be much, much harder, you think, down the track in several more months when economies are, are, are back to some level of normal activity to then say to lawmakers, we want more stimulus again. So perhaps she's trying to front load any approval at this stage. Another point too around inflation. This is something markets might get spooked about, but central banks know what to do with inflation. They actually genuinely have those tools. So I think that's uh, one of the differences in this crisis where you know, you're seeing that central bankers have emerged from the previous few years a little bit scarred because they haven't had a lot of monetary tools, as you've seen uh, very little inflation in the system. But uh, any spike in inflation, they can certainly deal, deal with that. And uh, of course, uh, the taper, the two-track taper is uh, one area where we have seen the central banks try and extract themselves from an extraordinary stimulus. I want to push on. Let's just talk about GameStop. Uh, one of the other big stories circulating in the market says uh, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev has apologized to users for pausing trading during a Reddit-driven frenzy of activity around GameStop shares. In a testimony before a House committee, Tenev said the online broker made the move as it worked to meet a $3 billion deposit requirement set by its equities clearinghouse. Tenev admitted the company had made mistakes but denied any wrongdoing. I'm sorry for what happened. Um, I apologize. And I'm not going to say that Robinhood 
did everything perfect and that we haven't made mistakes in the past. But what, what I commit to is making sure that we improve from this, we learn from it, and we don't make the same mistakes in the future. And Robinhood as an organization will learn from this and improve to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'll make sure of that. Meanwhile, Melvin Capital head Gabriel Plotkin told the hearing the hedge fund was not bailed out by a $2.75 billion investment from Citadel and Point72 during that rally. Plotkin defended the company's short position in GameStop, but admitted the wild trading had left it with heavy losses. When this frenzy began, Melvin started closing out its position in GameStop at a loss. Not because our investment thesis had changed, but because something unprecedented was happening. We also reduced many other Melvin positions at significant losses, both long and short, that were the subject of similar posts. I'm personally humbled by what happened in January. Investors in Melvin suffered significant losses. It is now our job to earn it back. The Citadel CEO, Ken Griffin, will speak with our colleagues in the States later on today. That exclusive interview is coming away at 1440 CET. And our colleague Steve Leesman will be speaking with the New York Fed President John Williams. That interview coming up on the network at 1900 CET, Jeff. Karen, thanks very much. President Biden will attend his first G7 meeting later today with the pandemic, economic recovery and China. Very much key topics for discussion. Newly appointed Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi will also join a G7 meeting for the first time with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson set to chair the virtual summit. French President Emmanuel Macron has urged his fellow leaders to accelerate the deployment of vaccines in developing countries ahead of the gathering. We'll have that story for you. Plus, we're going to speak with Allianz's CEO Oliver Bate as the uh, German financial services giant releases its fourth quarter results. We'll have more on that in just a moment. Oh, the podcast is brilliant today. It's got everything. It's got Marcel Marceau, it's got uh, riffs about uh, don't mess with the uh, sound guy or lady, uh, and it's got a little bit on Yellen as well. So for more exclusive interview with Janet Yellen, check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's a winner today. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, just very briefly here, Swiss Re giving us a group net loss of $878 million for full year 2020. The group says, uh, excluding COVID-19 claims and uh, reserves pre-tax of $3.9 billion, group net income rose to $2.2 billion from $727 million in 2019, uh, which would deliver a return on equity of 7.3%. Of course, in real life, you can't exclude the additional claims here, but we will get into some of the detail around uh, life and health reinsurance and uh, property and casualty uh, with John Dacey. He is the CFO. He will be with us later on in the programme, 9.20 Central European time for that conversation.
Also uh, in the sector, Allianz has reported a COVID-related hit of 1.3 billion euros to its full-year profits, but stressed it, it is in a good position to deliver on its 2021 guidance. Oliver Better joins us, the CEO of Allianz. Oliver, good to have you back with us on the programme. Let me just give you a, a, an open shot at goal here. Characterise for us the year and the period you've just experienced and tell us why 2021 will be better. Well, number one uh, for us, good morning and thank you for having me. 2021 uh, will be the year where we need to deliver on our three-year plan. But let's first talk about 2020. It was a really difficult year for Earth, not just for Allianz. And I think the company has done remarkably well. Uh, our earnings have been very resilient. Remember, we have 6.8 billion net profit for shareholders, 10.8 billion operating profit. A lot of people are showing losses. But because of our diversified business model, we were uh, able to pull through. And we had a particular strong fourth quarter. What is also remarkable that have we, we continue to have a very, very strong balance sheet, not just AA rating. We have a solvency ratio north of 200%, 207%. That's truly outstanding. We worked on it. And we received our regulators' approval to pay dividend now, which is super important, as we promised to our shareholders that we would always keep our dividend flat at least. So we have a ratchet and we're honoring our promise. It's interesting. I see the um, the analysts in your sector as well are salivating over the prospect of um, uh, the post-COVID-19 rebound for the insurance sector as you use this period as a catalyst, perhaps just to edge up pricing on, on policies and premiums. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your expectations are in that area? Yeah, so in commercial lines and reinsurance, that's the area you're seeing a very strong hard market, which means that prices are continuously going up now, that wordings are tightening, so the, the prospects for higher profitability are very, very strong. Now, to be fair, the sector badly needs it. It has been underpriced for more than a decade, so it's a welcome change and it will really power earnings in the years to come. But before we turn to the future, as most investors do, let's make sure people don't forget that some companies like ours have performed even in COVID and others haven't. Oliver, um, I don't think that uh, Bill Gates needs to tell you anything about climate change. I'm learning a lot from listening to his new book now and his new comments as well. We are nowhere near getting to the kind of levels of uh, GHG emission um, withdrawal in order to get to our targets for 2050 and elsewhere. What's the violence of the, uh, the world's weather system, the climate change going to do to your business model? I'm very concerned that premium increases are just not going to match the increased risk. That's a very interesting question that you're raising. And we absolutely need to get better in factoring in climate change into the way we price and structure our risk. Now, what's very important is not just to get higher prices, but we need to have better protection for our clients. Unfortunately, sometimes the industry reaction is to pull back and do not offer solutions. So we have to have better solutions for climate exposures on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, I'm very optimistic. There are lots of positive changes that are coming. A lot of countries have committed to net zero. We have published for the first time with the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance clear target already for 2025 in order to show real progress. And a lot of sectors are moving. Remember, Max the other day said that in eight years, they will have the first very large container ship that will run on ethanol. That is really important for us because a lot of the dirt in the air is coming from these big ships that are going around the world. So just just one example of real progress in the real economy. 
Oliver, things are moving very quickly. When we have extraordinary weather events like we've had in Texas, it's very different. And I'm going to just say a really harsh fact here, very different from terrible weather events that we have, say, in somewhere like Bangladesh and a horrendous annual flooding they get there because people in Texas are well insured and people in Bangladesh are not well insured. If this starts happening in the first world more aggressively, which I fear it's going to happen as well, that's going to just turn up the model, isn't it? Yes, and, and there is a, a very important thing. We are in the COVID crisis. We are forgetting about the most vulnerable. It's also true for vaccination. We are scrambling to vaccinate ourselves, and we're completely forgetting about the vulnerable ones in the south of the earth. And we have to do a lot more to help these vulnerable societies. But even in our case, just look at the energy uh, problems that Texas has. They had to bring the system down. And they're probably the world's most developed economy that can't even ensure continuous power supply. So there's a lot of reinforcement that we need to do in, re uh, in the infrastructure. And that's also true for Europe. If we had these times of weather events, I'm not so sure that our infrastructure would hold up. So we need to reinvest. Hi, Oliver. It's Karen jumping in. I want to ask you about assets under management. We saw a big tick up in the amount of money that was coming into the system. Also, market effects, two different factors here. But we are now looking at a market where many are questioning just how much further we can go and also whether we've uh, got some risks ahead with inflation. How concerned are you about the outlook? Uh, we are on the cautious side. Uh, we really believe that we have, uh, again, a lot of irrational exuberance in the number of the markets. But we have taken in our investment portfolio a very conservative stance, not just relative to equities, but also relative to credit risk, also relative to sovereign risk. So you find our balance sheet to be very conservative because we believe that there is a correction to be coming. Now, if I knew when and how, I'd be having a different job and be very rich. You've always flagged up to us in the past when you've been a bit more cautious, so perhaps you are in the right position, Oliver. But let me ask you about the, the GameStop uh, retail frenzy we witnessed, uh, just raking over the coals of what happened and how it happened, uh, as we saw in Washington overnight. What do you make of uh, some of the effects that we're seeing from those retail investors who've made money? There's been no way for them to uh, put it into some entertainment options they might have used. Instead, they're going to the stock market. Are you seeing that feature too, where people are putting savings into pension accounts and that is just bolstering the fortunes of assets under management, a feature that may not necessarily continue once we're past this crisis. Yeah, I'm not such an expert on what, ha what happened in the US and in the retail uh, frenzy. Uh, I apologize. I have to pass that on to our asset management experts. But what is pretty clear, it's another sign that uh, markets are a little bit out of whack and that we need to watch what's happening. We are trying to offer for our clients solutions that are safe that offer upside, but that in particular uh, offer downside protection. We try to be the rock in the storm or in the big flood, as you may say, when you return. That's our value proposition. We are not uh, a company that wants to be on the edge of uh, innovation when it comes to sort of high leverage and uh, short-term gains. I do apologize. Oliver, I almost feel like we've buried the lead, really, because the, the thing the market seemed to fixate on strongly yesterday was this spike in 10-year Treasury yields and the fear that inflation is just over the hill. What is your opinion on the direction for interest rates near and medium term? And how concerned should we be or otherwise about inflation this year? Yeah, it's an Outstanding question, because that is actually the, the, the core question also for our industry. I think uh, we can think about it in two different ways. One is Europe, where we continue to have financial repression. 
where the ECB continues to buy up up to the max in order to minimize spreads between the north and the south, the strong balance sheets and the weak ones. And at some point, somebody will have to pay the price for that. But in the short term, I don't see any any spike in interest rates. In the US, it's different because of the massive uh, programs that have been happening, the stimulus that's happening, the, the, the dollar being the, the world's uh, reserve currency, there is clearly a trend to stoke inflation and it's going to come. Again, I don't know when and how, but the interest rates have been steepening and they should be steepening further. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.